So week three of distraction, I'm going to start by just telling you what's true about what we're talking about today. And here it is. The value of anything is determined by what you are willing to pay for it. The value of anything is determined by what you are willing to pay for it. But you know this truth. There are things that are valuable to me that aren't valuable at all to you. And I can promise you there are things that you value that I would be like, what? Like, why in the world do you value that? And do you know people in your life, when you see them spending uh, what you would consider a large amount of money on something that's not valuable to you, don't you just think, like, that's crazy. Like, some of you are car people, and the rest of us are like, why would you spend that on something that goes on four wheels and is going to get jacked up here in San Francisco? That, that's, that's where we are. Uh, some of you ladies, you're purse people, and you think it's a great deal when you get a $400 purse. And then you recognize, or at least I understand, you have to have one in every color and in every color and in every size, or just two or three main ones. And I'm thinking, if I was a purse guy, and I'm not, but if I was a purse person, and I spent what you spend on what you say is a good deal, I would have nothing left to put in my purse. And I know this, you're like, Ben, we don't just put money in our purse. I mean, all kinds of things, you know? I've got more square footage in my purse, Ben, than I have in my studio apartment. And so there's all kinds of things that fit in there. Some of you, uh, like, it's super valuable to you to spend $250 on a pair of blue jeans that have holes in them. Like, whatever your thing is, we all value different things. Um, some of you value possessions. I do not really value many possessions. That's just not what I'm into. I don't collect things. I don't keep things. Um, I couldn't tell you where my diplomas are. Some of you are like, Ben, and we don't even know now if you have one. I promise there are records somewhere, but I don't have them. Uh, I, I just don't keep things. I, I say in my house that, you know, there's six of us. And so the math comes out to we each should, in terms of possessions in our house, we should each get a little more than 16% of everything in the house. But your boy right here only has about 2% of all valuables in the house. And so uh, everybody spends different. Like some of my kids think oh, it's valuable to spend money on video games. Some think it's valuable to spend money on Legos. Uh, Sean and I value different things. Here's what I value. I value experience experiences. Anybody else? Like, I want to go to a big time sporting event where she's like, Ben, um, for that price, do you mean you're buying the team? No, I'm just, Shauna, it's a great deal. You're like, but you're in the nosebleeds. I know it's such a great deal to pay a few. Anyway, I love culinary experiences. I, I love, uh, some of you don't value food as much as I do, but I, I value food and the experience and the atmosphere and the environment. And so I'm, I'm willing to invest there, especially I value uh, like trip experiences. I love to go unique places around here, around the U.S., around the world. I value those things. And uh, what's awesome is that Shauna loves like doing things, like making books that let us have memories of those. And those are the things that I really value. But you might value something very different. And what I'm about to tell you, I first need to ask, is this a judgment-free zone? This is a... Wow. <laughs> I'm not convinced it is. But I'm going to tell you my secret sins anyway. Um, so, so remember, the value of something is determined by what you're willing to pay for it. I wanted to be a good dad and a good husband, so recently I knew I had to quit putting off getting a living trust done for our family. I, I have a document that tells me what I'm supposed to be doing every week. I call it my weekly objectives document. I update it every single week, and for about the last 10 months, I'd had get a living trust done for our family. And I finally got around to it. Okay, it wasn't so much the weekly objective or the monthly, but, you know, the 2017 objective. And so I called an attorney who specializes in estate planning. And I said, I need a living trust. And so her assistant sent me a 14-page document for me to fill out. And so I fill out the document. And that, it really takes me four or five hours that week. I've got to go find insurance policy numbers. I've got to really contemplate life-giving questions like this one. Um, what do you want us to do with your body if you no longer 
are alive. What do you, what do you want us to do with your body? And then the really fun questions of uh, a living trust document. Who do you want to get the kids? If something should happen to you and your spouse. Um, by the way, I'm not going to tell you who, but one of you is on my list. No, I'm serious. One of you, I've actually put down, you, you, and, and you're like, oh, Ben, that's okay as long as you have some assets. I don't have any assets. I just have four children right now, and they're going to be yours in that emergency situation. Um, so I make an appointment. I take time again out of my busy day. I make an appointment. I see the attorney, and uh, we're sitting there, and it's pretty simple. She asks me some questions. I give answers. And then she says to me, do you have any questions? And I said, I just have one question. And yes, I know I should have asked this question at the beginning, but I said, um, how much is this service? And she said to me, now listen, I understand. I understand. I understand. We're in the Bay Area. I understand that. I understand things are expensive here. I understand that attorneys charge a lot per hour. I have a number of friends who are attorneys and I know what they charge. That's why I didn't go see them. (laughs) Like I thought the friendship card would be enough, but, uh, she says to me, the standard fee is $3,800, but since you don't own any property and you uh, are pretty straightforward situation for you, I'll do it for $3,400. Now, some of you who value this more than I do have been like, high five. That's amazing, Ben. I spent four times that amount. It probably because probably you have a couple more assets than I do. Anyway, so I said, uh, I had that four, she had that 14-page document, but I noticed behind her desk she had a copy machine. A copier, and I said, well, would you mind making copies of what I just handed you? And she hands me back the 14 pages of documents, so now that in case I do find someone else to do it, I've got these documents that I'm sure will be the same in any situation. And so um, I left her, I said, I'm going to need some time to think about this. So I left her office, I called my wife, and I uh, told Shauna, Shauna, hey, there's this great deal, she's not going to charge us what she normally charges people, for us, $3,400. And um, when Shauna responded, I once again knew I had married the right woman. She said this. I love this. She said, Ben, if we are going to spend $3,000, I think we will spend it on our life, not our death. High five. Let's go live it up. Now, I know some of you are thinking right in this moment. Ben, that's not very responsible. We, we are getting ourselves taken care of in other ways, okay? We, we do are in the process of that whole living trust getting done, but we just don't value it maybe like you value it. We all value different things. And what I want to do uh, as we press into our Sunday afternoon, it's beautiful out there, so I won't keep you long. Uh, what I want to talk about today is what you value most. What you value most. We're in week three of this distracted series with this helpful tagline, missing what matters most, missing what matters most. So today I want to talk about what the thing is that's most valuable, valuable to you. And the only way to help yourself like any other Sunday is to just be really brutally honest with yourself about what matters most to you. Like just be honest before God, be honest with yourself about what matters most to you. And let's see if there's some shifting we need to do in terms of what we find to be most valuable in our lives. Here's the first question I want to begin with. What if we have miscalculated what matters most? What if we have miscalculated what matters most? Now, I just told you in my example that what matters most to me might not matter most to you. And some things, it doesn't matter that we have a difference of opinion on. But if there is a God in the universe and he establishes the true value of something, then not everything is up for our say-so. Not everything is up for our opinion. When it comes to uh, food for me or possessions for you or a vehicle, whatever it is that you value most, like that's fine. But if there are things that are infinitely valuable in terms of how God has declared them, then it would be wise for us to write Rightly estimate or rightly calculate what are those things that are most 
valuable? What if we've miscalculated what matters most? The second question is this. What if the thing that matters most to us doesn't actually matter most? What if the thing that matters most to us doesn't actually matter most? You see, I'm not today saying, hey, I want something to matter most to you. Here's what's true for every person in this room and anywhere on planet Earth today. There is something that matters most to you. Do you know that? It doesn't matter what you say matters most. There is actually something that truly matters most to you. But what if we place a high value on something that isn't that valuable? Or we place zero value on something that is infinitely valuable? If you miscalculate what matters most, it's going to shape your life in a lot of ways because whatever you value most determines everything else about your life. What you value most determines how you play in your relationships. What you value most determines your outlook when it comes to your career. What you value most informs what you worship. It informs how you spend your time. It informs where you spend your money. What you value most informs where your anxieties come from in life. Whatever you value most really, really matters. Here's why. We're all chasing after something. And if I were to take a survey today and say, what is it that you're chasing after? I might receive as many answers as as there are people in this gathering. But I want to tell you, I don't think we're all after something different. I think we're all after the same thing. I think what we're after in the end is the same thing. And it goes by a few different words, but let me give you some of those words. I think what every one of us are actually at, what we're all after is this joy, contentment, satisfaction, just that sense of saying, I'm good. And, and, and the difference is for all of us isn't the end that we're all after. We just simply have a different means to the same end. Does that make sense? So for you, maybe it's a career thing. For you, maybe it's a wealth thing. For you, maybe it's a relationship thing. For you, maybe it's a status thing. But whatever it is that you're after, I think the reason you're after it is simply because you see that, whatever it is for you, you see it as a path to contentment. You see it as a path to contentment. And one of the things that people have looked to From the beginning of the world, they still look to it today, and it's not just an American thing or a San Francisco thing. It's a universal thing around the globe. People have forever looked to this idea of wealth to be the thing that gets them what they want in the end. Do you know this? But if wealth isn't your thing, then just fill in the blank where I say wealth or money. Just fill in the blank with whatever your thing is. And the reason cultures, even though it's a different number, if you're in Africa versus America, cultures all around the world throughout all of history have said, what is that one thing that if I get it, then I will be good. And our greatest temptation is to look to wealth to provide for us because we've, we've been fed this line that if we have it, then we'll be taken care of. Then we'll have a little bit of control. Then we'll be able to meet our needs. Then I will be good. I will be good. So I want to talk about contentment today. And I want to ask this question. It's a little confusing, so I'll ask it twice. What if the thing we are pursuing is actually keeping us from what is actually keeping us from what we are asking it to give us? What if the thing we're pursuing is actually keeping us from what we're asking it to give us? Confusing, I know. So let me just unpack it a little bit. If I'm pursuing wealth, the reason I'm pursuing wealth is because, because I'm asking it to bring me contentment or satisfaction. But what if my pursuit of that very thing itself is keeping me from getting in on the contentment I'm asking it to give to me? You see, I'm convinced that if the thing that you need to be content is somewhere out there, then your quest for it will never end. Who remembers when they got out of college or they just began working or they moved to San Francisco and they said, you said to yourself, if I just have this amount of money, I'll be good to go. Anybody remember that? 
has that number changed at all? How many of you remember that if so-and-so would just go on a first date with you, you'd never want another thing in the world? Come on, anybody? <laughs> We're about to play Love Connection. I'm going to get some people matched up because apparently no one... Some of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? It's not... You're like, Ben, we're the noon crowd. We like anonymity. Okay. Some of you, I'm not pointing fingers. Some of you said to yourself, if I could just get a first date, I'll never ask for anything else. And to you, I want to say, did you ask for a second date? Absolutely. Why? Because when we get the thing we think will do it for us, it doesn't. That's why we need more money or why we need the second date or why we need a higher position. Some of us, when we were interns in the corporations we now work for, we told ourselves if we would just make associate, all would be well. But no, 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 no. We're associate. Now we've got to make what? Partner. And those things aren't necessarily bad. But if you say, I've got to have that, then your, your quest will never, you never end. And so what if, what if the thing we're missing could already be present in our lives? As I interact with people, as I hear about desires, as I think about my own desires, as I interact with my family or with our staff team or with my friends or just with anyone, I, I'm always getting a sense from people that they just seem to be miss, they seem to be missing out on something. There are a lot of conversations that begin with, if I could just this, if I could just have that, if I could make this, if, if I could be recognized as that, then, then I would be good to go. But, but, but what if the thing we think we're missing could already be present in us? You see, when that famous psalm, Psalm 23 begins, it begins by saying, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. In 2 Peter 1, 3, Peter writes that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That I don't have to find it out there. I actually, it can be found in me, not by me, not as the source, but Christ in me giving what I'm looking for every other place. It can be in you. Contentment doesn't have to be found at a number or at a wedding or being able to have kids or your kids getting to the right college or university. It can be something that you don't have to find out there. It can be found right in here. In a moment, I'm going to tell you what Jesus had to say about what matters most or what is most valuable. But first, I want to just tell you what contentment is not. This has been helpful for me as we talk about contentment the rest of this talk. I think it will be helpful for you. Here's what I want to tell you. Contentment is not the opposite of ambition. Contentment is not the opposite of ambition. Sometimes I just feel a little bit conflicted because I think to have one means I'm forfeiting the other. But it's not, it's not the opposite. Sometimes we think uh, if you're an ambitious person, you think a person who says they're content, you're like, oh, they're lazy. Or they're mediocre or they're average. And if you're someone who's content and you see all of these ambitious people, you're like, man, why can't they just be happy? Why do they have to keep going after something else? And I want to tell you that you can do both. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. The answers are always yes, okay? I know what I'm dealing with here. I'm learning. I just want to prove the point that you can be both. Was Jesus content? Did he have a small or a big ambition? Yes. Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, he started 20 plus churches. Did he know anything about being content? The answer is still yes. I know I tricked you a moment ago, but it's still yes. Paul wrote about contentment in at least a couple of places. In one place, he said, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little, and I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Do you know how Paul learned to be content in all situations? Because he didn't allow the situation or circumstance to dictate his contentment. And then he said to Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. 
It's a win. You don't have to have all of these things that you think you have to have, Timothy, in order to be content. You can be content not with something that's external, but something that can be internally present in you and with you. And so here's how I think about being content and being ambitious. This is how it's helpful for me. My contentment means that I'm grateful for everything God has given me. My ambition means I want to maximize what God has given me. So my contentment is me saying, God, you've given me enough and you are enough. Because sometimes these feel like they, they rub against each other. My ambition, now selfish ambition is wrong. Paul said to the Philippian church, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Jesus said, don't show up in any situation to be served, but to serve and to give your life. So it's this godly ambition that is what we're advocating for. So my contentment is, God, thank you for what you've given me. My ambition is I want to maximize. I want to steward well what you have entrusted to me. Let me give you a few examples how this could work in my life and in your life. So... If I want our church to grow so that I can find contentment, that's wrong. It's wrong, and it won't work, right? Because when this thing started, God, if anybody shows up, that's enough, right? Now it's like, God, if we can get to 800, that'll be enough. If I need a church growing so that I can be content, I will never be content. But if I'm content with who God is and what he's given to me, then I can be ambitious to see our church grow because I know God wants to reach as many people as possible. And so that's me stewarding well the opportunity he's entrusted to me. So I don't want you to feel guilty about if you need to, uh, if you're pursuing a promotion in your company, but let me say this to you, just like my own example. If you are needing a promotion or a new job or recognition so that you can be content, I don't think you'll ever be content. But if you are content, it could be the thing God has for you to get the promotion so that he might want to expand your influence. And you can be ambitious about anything that God calls you to do. But I don't want to say, if I get this, then I can be content. I want to be content. And do you know what it's like if you're already content? You're freed. You're freed from not having to find contentment in the thing you're pursuing. Some of you think that you married the wrong person when in reality, and and maybe you did, um, I'm just joking. I'm joking. But the reality could be you're simply asking that human being to do for you what no human being can do for you. It could be that. Some of you are like, oh, why aren't my kids making me happier? Because they weren't meant to. I mean, there's some obvious reasons probably, but they they just weren't meant to, like them at their best. And some of you are like, oh, Ben, why do I have to keep switching jobs? I just can't find the perfect job that makes me content forever. It doesn't exist. I love my work. I hope you love your work. But this can't hold the weight of being the most valuable thing in my life. And yours can't either. It doesn't matter how amazing the business is, uh, how much funding you get. It doesn't matter how much recognition you get. It doesn't matter uh, what the magazines are saying about you. It won't be able to bring you this. Now, you can be ambitious, but don't pursue things to gain contentment. That will always remain elusive. If you're pursuing something external to yourself to get contentment, you will never reach it. I really believe that. So if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus, when he talks about what matters most, he uses a word that's been translated in English as the word treasure. So when you hear the word treasure and anything that Jesus says, think about this is what's most valuable or this is what matters most. Would you stand with me as I read these three verses? What's incredible about these three verses is there are two parables contained just in these three verses. So not a lot of scripture but profound implications if you understand. And Jesus is going to tell us what we should treasure. He's also going to just tell us the universal principle of the way treasure works. Here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Here's parable two. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Have a seat. Three verses, two parables, profound implications. Jesus is going to tell us what it is that we should treasure. But first thing I want you to notice is he's just telling us about the universal principle of what treasure does. This isn't a spiritual thing yet or a non-spiritual thing. This isn't a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. This is just a thing. Jesus says every human being treasures something. And whatever you treasure, you do exactly what these guys do. Let me say it again. Jesus is saying, hey, just so you know, whatever it is that you value most, you do what these guys do. Here's how I want to say it. When we discover what matters most to us, we will do everything we can to get it. When we discover what matters most to us, we will do everything we can to get it. Do you know this? It doesn't matter if it's a guy or girl. It doesn't matter if it's a position. It doesn't matter if it's a vacation destination. Whatever matters most to you, you will and I will do whatever it takes to get it. This isn't even like a Christian thing yet. It's just a thing. Whatever matters most to you, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. These guys do whatever it takes to get it. They come across, the first one comes across treasure. He hides it in the field. Then, so that he can get enough income to buy the field, he doesn't want anybody else to get it. He goes and sells all that he has, comes back, and he buys that field. And here's why it really matters what is most valuable to you. Here's why. And you know this, but we forget it sometimes. You cannot have everything. You cannot have everything. Which means this, I am always making sacrifices, even if you don't call it that, and you are always making sacrifices. We are always setting down some things to have other things that we want most. You can't have it all, so you better get really clear on what matters most to you. What is most valuable? Because whatever matters most to you will also dictate what you're willing to sacrifice. So if you wrongly estimate what matters most, all of a sudden you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Here's how I want to say it. If we miscalculate what matters most, then you will sacrifice what actually matters most. If you underestimate, if you wrongly estimate, if you say to this thing, this is what matters most, it's wealth, it's status, it's success, it's a relationship, it's whatever. If you wrongly estimate that, if the thing you think matters most doesn't actually matter most, you will set down the things that do matter most. Everyone does it. Look at this verse 44. It says, for this guy to get the treasure in the field, he had to sell everything he had. He had to make a sacrifice. Now, do you think he saw it as a sacrifice? Like Ben, is the answer still yes? No, it's not. It says, when he found it, he hid it. And as he was going to sell everything he owned, he did so with great joy. Why? Because he was willing to give up whatever didn't matter most to have what mattered most. And you're giving things up already. This is not a message about, oh, treasure something. You already do. This isn't even a message about sacrifice some things. You already are. The question is simply, are you treasuring the right things and are you sacrificing the things that aren't most important? And if not, where do we need to 
make our wrong paths become the right paths for us to walk in as we pursue the life that God has given to us. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught about, par- uh, about treasure there. He said this in Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now look at verse 21 to begin with. Jesus, again, is just giving you a universal principle. Not a Christian thing, just a thing. Wherever your treasure is, go, go look. You, you, people that treasure attending a concert of their favorite band, if that's their treasure, their heart follows that. Right? Whatever it is. Uh, when I was in grad school, I was, a, uh, I was a tour guide for the Dallas Cowboys. And I saw treasure on display there like crazy. I saw grown men, grown men kneeling at the blue star on the 50-yard line and kissing it. I saw people spend money they should have been spending on other things in their life, actually buying money they did not have to come to the stadium to buy autograph this and autograph that. And they didn't even, you could tell, like just from other things they probably had not spent their money on, you could tell that they value this most. Whatever you value most, whatever you treasure most, your heart follows. Your decision-making follows. Your affections follow. Your anxieties and concerns, they follow. Your money follows. Your time follows. Like your, your daydreams. Everything in your heart and mind follows whatever you treasure most. And so are you treasuring what you should be treasuring most? In Matthew 6, uh, 19, it says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. The literal translation of what Jesus is saying is this, do not treasure your treasures or do not value your valuables. Instead, he says, treasure what can't be taken from you and treasure what has lasting value. Here's a good treasure test for you. Two questions. When you think about what matters most to you, let me just give you two questions to help you rightfully assess. And whatever it is, these are the right questions to ask. Number one, the thing you value most, can it be taken from you? Can it be taken from you? You better think about that. If it's your job, if it's a person, can it be taken from you? Number two, 100 years from today, will it still be as valuable to you then as it is right now? Not as valuable to your great-grandkids. 100 years from today, October 8th, 2117, does it still hold that kind of value? You're like, Ben, why are we going so deep with the noon crowd? Because whatever matters most to you matters. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong. So do I. Jesus taught a lot about people who people who made wealth everything, like their most treasured pursuit. And he basically says this in a few places, that people who made that the throne of, on the throne of their lives, they actually had to forfeit or miss out on a life with God. In Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus gave the parable of the sower. And in that, he said that there are some people who hear the word of God, like you're doing in this setting this afternoon. They hear the word of God, but three things... Three things choke out the word of God. Three things distract people from the word of God. In this particular example, here's what he said the three things are about our talk for today. He said the three things that get in the way and choke out the word of God in our lives, it's these three things. It's the desire for other things. It's the, it's the desire for other things. It's, it's, the, it's like the worry of, 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 of this life, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth. 
It says they come in and they choke out what God wants to do, what he wants to root inside of you, the contentment he wants to give you, his word that he wants to speak into you. It actually chokes all of the good stuff God wants to put in our life. It chokes it out and it causes your life, Jesus said, to be unfruitful. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 23, Jesus encounters a man who's really rich. And the man says, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, how's your morality? And the guy's like, uh, my morality is on point. All the commandments, I'm good. Jesus says, all right, one thing that you lack, go and sell everything you have, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Same, same word. Now, you're like, why would Jesus make him do something that costs so much? Here's why. Jesus knew that this man had always had wealth on the throne of his life. And he knew in order for him to find Jesus as the ultimate treasure, he would have to dethrone wealth. And the only way this guy at least could dethrone that was to actually have to give it all away. And it says in this account, Mark says, the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. He was willing to miss an eternal life with God, but he wasn't willing to miss the earthly life with wealth. You see, every person that's ever lived is always saying, I want this most, and because I want this most, I'm willing to give that up. But the rich young man, while he wanted eternal life, I think his motives were pure. He didn't want it more than he wanted his wealth. Wealth isn't bad. If you hear someone in my role ever stand up in a church or something you're watching and say, wealth's a problem, wealth isn't a problem in and of itself. Wealth can be used for great kingdom causes. It just makes a terrible God. It's an insufficient God. In fact, Ecclesiastes, the writer said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Some of us are like, I'd love to try that. Anybody besides me, just honestly, I have a number that I think I could deal with. Anybody? But he says this too is meaningless. If it's a number, Ben, you never get there. See, for most of us, it isn't that we don't have enough money. It's that we're asking money to do for us what no amount of it could do for us. You could be asking a man or a woman to do for you what no man or woman can do for you. You may be asking a job to do for you what no job can do for you. I might be asking our church to rally around a mission and be my source of contentment when no church could rally so much or grow so much or be so impacting the world that it would bring me the kind of contentment that only Jesus can bring me. And for most of these things, you don't need to get them out of your life completely. You just need to dethrone them. You you just need to get them off the throne. Most of them don't have to leave our lives, but we need to do whatever is necessary so that we treasure the one who is most valuable. What if you get everything but miss what matters most? Just for 15 seconds, I want you to think about how you would think, because it's a unique answer to you. When you think about, oh, this is everything I want, just what is on that list? Everything. Whatever everything would be to you, think about that. Imagine yourself getting it. But at the same moment that you receive it, you also recognize there's still something missing. Jesus said it like this. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That part of you that matters most, the part of you that lives forever, the part of you that will be restless until you find your rest in him. My hope for today is twofold as we close. One is that Jesus would become more valuable to you. It is not that Jesus would become more valuable in the universe and in eternity. He could not possibly become more valuable. Do you know the reason that our vision statement is what it is in part is due to this idea? We are seeking to be a church that orients our entire life around Jesus. Why? Because he's most valuable. Because there is no one else and there is nothing else that is worthy of me wrapping my entire life around. 
There's no one else. There's no person. There's no thing. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of success that is worth me wrapping my entire life around. But Jesus, worthy. But you remember what I said when this talk began. I said this sentence. The value of anything is determined by what you're willing to pay for it. So as I ask you to increase the value of Jesus in your heart and mind, just because he's that valuable, I want to talk to you right now about his value of you. The value of anything is determined by what? What you're willing to, what you're willing to pay to have it. So how valuable were we to God? Was he going to simply send some prophets to tell us about his love? Was he going to shower blessing every now and then for those of us who had great religious performances? Or was he going to write himself into the story because he found human beings that valuable? And then what was the price he was going to pay? His very life. Scriptures say over and over and over again, he loved me and gave himself for me. The scriptures say over and over again, when I was still sinful... Jesus died for me. Not when I got my act together, but when I didn't, he paid it all. It says that God gave us his one and only son so that we didn't have to live forever without him. He was willing to give his life for us. He was willing to put on skin like we have. He was willing to accommodate to what we could understand and offer his life on the cross in the most brutal death imaginable. Why? Why? Because the value of anyone, including you and you and you, is determined by what our God was willing to pay to have you. And let me tell you a couple things I can believe and one thing that's really hard for me to believe. I can believe that Jesus loves the world. I can believe, believe it or not, that Jesus loves you. Those aren't hard ideas for me to rally around. You know what's hard for me? Is to personalize it and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus loved me. He loved Ben. He gave his life up for Ben. Yep. And so I don't know where you're at today, but I think one of two things, if not both things, need to occur in this moment before we walk out of these doors. We need to ask Jesus to help us to value him in the way that he is truly valuable. But some of us, number two, need to ask Jesus to help us see how valuable we are to him. Not that we get a big head and get arrogant. That's not the point. It should humble us, but should also give us incredible confidence. That he loved you enough that he gave himself for you. And he loved you enough that he gave himself for you. When you couldn't bring anything to the table of worth, the one who is worthy of everything comes to the table and he offers his life for you. And I hope that we would increase our value of him. And I hope we will see clearly that he values and treasures us. The one who is most valuable. Is there anyone in the room who, before we leave this moment, you know you need to step across that line of faith and say, Jesus, if you're this valuable, then I want in. I want to quit miscalculating what matters most. I want to quit treasuring things that aren't that worthy of being treasured. And I also, Jesus, in this moment, want to receive. It's humbling to me, but I want to receive that you love me enough that you went to the cross to cover my sins. You paid the price to show me value. Who needs to get in on that? I want to pray for you if that's you. And our band's going to come lead us in a response song. If you close your eyes and bow your heads, I, I want to just ask, is that you? Like, are you the one in the room who's looking to everything else and wonder, why do I not have enough money? I thought this would be enough. Or why can't she or he bring me enough? Or why can't this success? I thought when I made partners, certainly this would be the deal. 
I thought when we were acquired, I thought when the stock went public, I, I thought when I had this position of leadership at Epic Church, I thought that this would do it for me. And now you know nothing external is ever going to do it for you. But that is okay because the one who's most valuable is the one who can bring you contentment that isn't based on your circumstances. And do you see, even if it embarrasses you in this moment, do you see the value that Jesus places on you? So much so that he would be willing to pay with his very life. And if you're one of the people in the room that just need to say to Jesus, Jesus, I've never trusted you, but today I want to make you the treasure of my life. I see the value you place on me, but I also see that you're most valuable in the entire universe. And I want to build my life on you and around you. And you don't have to do anything strange in this moment, but you can just on your card, Mark, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to become a Christian. Don't miscalculate what matters most.